Now, as I mentioned before, a sermon series begins today, Your God is Too Small. And uh, I'm going to request, I'm going to ask something of you. I'm going to ask you to rise to the occasion and to work a little harder uh, to, to think and to ponder with me these deep and important truths. If you think about it, what could be more significant than our understanding of who God is? It's, it's at the heart of everything. What could be more uh, substantial and, and, and could have the most consequences? From Genesis chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land where you are now an alien, all the land of Canaan, for a perpetual holding, and I will be their God. Your God is too small. Make a mental note. Your God's too small, so is mine. That was the title of a book written in 1952 by J.B. Phillips, and it took the world by storm. Theologically, he was trying to say some things that needed to be said. They still need to be said. The book's a little dated because of its illustrations and its applications, but the principles are still there. One of his premises is that, you know, when you're a preschooler, you have a preschooler's understanding of God, and that's not all bad, by the way. Uh, there's, there, there's that openness to God, the simplicity. Uh, but he says, as you grow physically and mentally and uh, emotionally in other ways, it's a shame to grow into teen years and then adulthood and still have a five-year-old's understanding of God. Our God stays small. Uh, another way he gets at this is that uh, we always think of God as God of the gaps, things we cannot explain in nature, that's God, but as science advanced, there were fewer and fewer gaps. Uh, so we, if we think of God as the cosmic bellhop helping us with only the things we can't handle ourselves, then our God is too small. And that's the point he makes in that book. And by the way, this sermon series, the sermon today, the sermon series, is not about proving the existence of God. That, that God's existence cannot be proven, and that's not what we're about. We're not here to prove God's existence. We're here to bear witness to his existence, right? That's what we do when we worship. We bear witness to him. And I like the quote by Emil Bruner, a famous theologian of the 20th century. The God who can be proven is not the God of faith. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't want to worship a God who can be explained. 
I don't want a God so small that they can figure him out in a test tube or in a, a mathematical equation. The God who can be proven is not the God of faith. Because if, 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 if our God is so small that that God can be managed and controlled and totally understood, then by definition, that is not God. Because God is infinite. God is eternal. And so one of the things that, that's helpful as we consider who God is and God's nature is to think of two rails or two polarities, two opposites. On this side, we think of the transcendence of God. That's the otherness of God. God's majesty and might, His distance from us being far above us. And the other polarity, the other ditch, the other rail would be the immanence of God, which just a, is a big word that means the nearness of God. God in us, God close, God, God intimate, God friend. And I can tell you that you study the history of theology and most heresies, false teachings of the faith, end up because we stick too closely to one or the other because there's always this tension between the two. You know, if God is so transcendent, so far off, that God cannot be approached, then people just say, well, I, I'm afraid of that God, and I don't want anything to do with that God. That's, that's not healthy. There needs to be a tension between the two. On the other hand, if God is totally imminent, He's just the good buddy, He's my pal, then that's dangerous too because that's kind of blasphemous. Parenthetically, um, I hardly ever remember my dreams. Uh, I, I tell my wife the next morning I, I dreamed. It was really important, but I don't remember what it was. But as I was driving to church this morning, I was on the expressway getting ready to turn north on Monroe. I remembered a dream I had last night, and I was at some conference, and some speaker got up, and he kept referring to God as the old man upstairs. And I had had enough, and I raised my hand, and I told him that I took offense of that, that God was transcendent and glorious and not to be described that way, and there was just sort of this embarrassing hush in the room. And that's all I remember of the dream. <laughs> so you and Freud can make of it what you want, but I remember that dream. I guess this sermon was on my mind. But either extreme is not healthy, but staying in that tension between God's otherness and God's nearness... And one of the ways that we navigate that journey between those two polarities is to acknowledge the names of God in Scripture. I want to show you some of the names of God, especially in the Old Testament. And this is by no means exhaustive. This is just introductory. Uh, there's Elohim, uh, which is the name for God. Uh, El Olam, everlasting God. El Elyon, God Most High. El Elohai Israel, the God of Israel. El Roy, God who sees. Hannah talked about that in a sermon she preached back in May. And then this morning's message, El Shaddai, God Almighty, God the Mighty One, or God of the Mountains. And that's how God self-described as God encountered Abraham in the scripture that we read just a moment ago. El Shaddai, God of the Mountains. That is used 48 times in Scripture to describe God. Now, having just returned from vacation, I, I really thought more about this amazing theme of the God of the mountains uh, 
we, we had the privilege of traveling to see uh, Yellowstone and the Tetons, and th there's just something about seeing mountains that makes you feel not quite as important as you were before you got there, kind of small. And there's this majesty of the mountains that you can't capture in a picture. They're, they're just, when you think about a God who could create all of this, but not just that God created this, but the God of the mountains is like, there's this majesty about God. There's this grandeur about God. This imposing presence that is beyond description and never changes. It's just always there. Think about how many times in Scripture uh, people go up the mountain to experience God. Moses did that. Elijah did that. Jesus did that. Mountains are important in Scripture. He's the God of the mountains. El Shaddai, the Mighty One. Now, another thing that's helpful as we journey in this sermon series is to remember that the world encountered by Abraham and his family, the culture around them, the Canaanites who lived around them in what later became the Holy Land or Palestine, that culture did not have one single God who was personal. They had multiple deities God's small g-o-d-s. And here's something we don't often think about. Those gods were not ethical beings. They did not have an ethical dimension of working for justice or caring about people who were lost or sick or confused. In the eyes of the people, these gods were amoral in that they were simply a way to explain fire and flood and wind and the changing seasons. Nothing personal about them. In contrast, God, the true El Shaddai, the Mighty One, begins to bear witness through Abraham that there's, that, that there's a difference. There's a new sheriff in town. There's a new way of understanding deity. This God, El Shaddai, and here's the interesting thing. Almost every one of those 48 references to God as El Shaddai, the Mighty One, almost every one of them in Scripture is always, the name is coupled with God providing or God blessing. Isn't that interesting? That He's not some distant cosmic object or thing that started the world spinning and then rode off into the sunset. God is actively involved, providing and blessing, calling us by name and wanting to be involved in our lives. And that's a huge difference. And that brings us to the scripture text, the uh, Genesis 17, where God self-describes as El Shaddai, the Mighty One. The God who could be God any way God chooses. Free doesn't need us, is not dependent upon us for existence or for meaning and value, but chooses in freedom to enter into relationship with us. And the word that came to Abram was, I want to be in covenant with you. That's a, that's a loaded word in Scripture because in that culture there were two kinds of covenants. There was a covenant between equals you know, like we would talk about a contract today. But there was a kind of covenant 
that was a relationship of someone greater and someone lesser. And the way these words are used is a pattern in Scripture that those who study ancient texts and ancient documents know that this was that kind of covenant of the greater to the lesser. This is God saying, I don't have to do this, but I really love you. I want to name you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want us to get to know each other. Is that not mind-blowing? That the God of the cosmos is interested in us? And so, the flip side of that is that Abram, who was raised in a far-off land that practiced many gods, was facing a new reality. He was no longer free to make up God as he chose. God was no longer as Abram wished God would be. Abraham was experiencing the God who is a particular way and calls us into faithful relationship. And by the way, isn't that the struggle that we all have? You know, we want God to be whatever, whatever our feelings say at the moment. I feel like God is whatever. Or we want God to be the God of our self-sufficiency. God, I'll take care of everything, but it's that bellhop image. I'll call you when and if I need you. No. Like Abraham, we are called to deal with God the way God is, not the way we wish God is. And that's sobering. So where's Abraham in all this? Well, the first thing God tells Abraham is, I want you to walk blamelessly. And I looked up that word in the Hebrew lexicon. And the word means, I want you, Abraham, to be transparent. I want you to be honest. You know, one of the things that we value in this church is, is those uh, transparent and vulnerable relationships, those honest relationships. And isn't it interesting that of all the things the mighty God could require of us, he doesn't want us putting on a show, showing off for him, or trying to impress him with our works or how much money we give. He says, I just want you honest before me. I want you to be real. I want you to be transparent. I want you to come acknowledging your need and your brokenness. That's how we come to faith in Christ, isn't it? By acknowledging we're sinners and we're broken. But the other thing I want you to notice about this text, in all of the eight verses I read, Abraham did not speak. In fact, Abraham does not speak in that text until verse 17, and we didn't even read that far. Maybe that's a clue for us. Be quiet a little more. That's coming from a preacher, I'm sorry. Oh, and to listen, and wait till God's done talking. And then when Abraham does respond, it's not verbally, it's he's, he responds with his body. Scripture says... In verse 3, he fell in God's presence, but he didn't fall on his knees. He fell on his face. He was in the presence of El Shaddai, the mighty one, 
And when God encountered Abraham, he fell on his face. J.I. Packer has a great book entitled Knowing God. And uh, one of the great lines out of that book is, uh, J.I. Packer says, Most of us cherish our own greatness and God's smallness, and we need to flip that around. Most of us have, we wouldn't admit it, but our behavior shows that we cherish our greatness and God's smallness. J.I. Packer says we need to flip that and ponder God's greatness and our smallness. Abraham fell on his face. It's a reminder that the God of the cosmos, El Shaddai, is not one to be trifled with, nor is this God one to be manipulated. Of the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, the first three are about this very thing. Imagine 30% of the Ten Commandments are about this. You'll have no other gods before you. You'll not make graven images of God, physical statues, and you will not take God's name in vain. And that means more than swearing. It means using God's name lightly or using it as a rabbit's foot, as sort of a good luck charm. Three of the ten. Reminding us that God's not to be trifled with nor manipulated. Well, as we read on, we see that encountering this El Shaddai mighty God brought to Abraham a change. He changed his, God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. We won't go into the etymology of what those name changes mean, except to say that at 99 years of age, Abraham had to change. The living God encounters us and reminds us we're never too old to change and grow. We're never too young to be open to God's Spirit. Doesn't matter what sins we've committed, how badly we've failed, how much we don't know about the Bible, God, El Shaddai, is always calling us into new relationship and calling us to change and to grow. And because of that, Abraham could self he had a self-awareness. He had an identity. This is who I am. I, I understand my purpose in life now. And some of you may be here this morning struggling with purpose in life. But if you are related to the God of the cosmos, El Shaddai, you have a purpose. God has named you. And there's a reason for your life. And you are to live that. And, to paraphrase a great line from Eugene Peterson, you have more chance knowing who you are by getting in a relationship with God than you do looking at your driver's license or your student ID. You can, you can learn who you are in Christ by getting in a right relationship with God more clearly than anything else you can do. To be in that purpose, to be to be overwhelmed by a God bigger than we are, to, to, to have our imagination captured by, by something bigger than ourselves. Isn't that a crying hunger in our lives? We're so tired being Lord of our own lives, such petty existence when God has called us to something big and grand and beautiful. 
the El Shaddai God calls us to purpose and to abundant living through His Son, Jesus Christ. Someone years ago said that this whole human condition that we're in is like a kindergarten in which millions of preschoolers are in a play area trying to spell God with the wrong blocks. Millions of preschoolers in a kindergarten trying to spell God, but they have the wrong blocks. If you listen carefully, you'll hear people saying, this is what God is like, that's what God is like. When Scripture says this El Shaddai, this Mighty One, can be known through His Son, Jesus Christ. God is love. And anyone who makes God other than that is not telling the truth. We don't figure God out by using the wrong blocks. We receive His self-revelation of who He said He was and is and being open to that. Because God is love. No matter the injustice, the pain, the hurt in your world, the the struggles in this world of ours with violence and ugliness, no matter, underneath all of that is God's love and God's purpose for us. And there's a verse from 1 John that I want to put on the screen that I want us to think about probably every Sunday of this series, that after we've said everything there is to say about God, whether it's El Shaddai or any other name, the bottom line is that God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His Son, His only Son, into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God. We didn't find the right building blocks, the right letter blocks. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 4, 8-10. through El Shaddai, the Mighty One, known to us in gentle, loving relationship. Let's pray. Open our hearts, Mighty God, to the transforming work you want to do and need to do in each of us as we grow in our understanding of who you are and what you're calling us to be and do. Hear our prayers as we do business with you. Amen.